Campeones, campeones, ole, ole, ole. Case, how does it not how does it feel not only to support the greatest team in the history of world football, but to have them coached by Eric Ten Hag? Feels pretty amazing. Feels pretty amazing today, Aaron. Yeah, it's been six years. It's been six years since we won anything. Which is pretty weird to think about. I have to say, to me it didn't feel like six years, but then on the other hand, I was I was sitting I was standing in the bar today after we'd won the match, and I was thinking I can barely remember this. Like, I can barely remember what the sensation was um, the last time it happened. So, it feels pretty good. What about you? you Yeah, I don't know about you, but this was the first trophy of what I would say is my adult life. This was just so great that it was was awesome. And I also feel like those cup wins felt like we don't know when we're going to get to celebrate next. So, we might as well have fun while we're here, whereas this one feels like it it should be the first of maybe not more cup wins, but at least the team being watchable again and, and fun. So I think it's the first of more cup wins. I hope so, I, and I and I, I, I'm I think optimistic it that it will be. But even if it's not, I think the most important thing is that the team is actually fun to watch and plays well and has players who deserve cup wins. Like, they're among the best in the sport in their positions and are playing some of the best football in Europe right now I'd say even if you know there are a couple of teams that are clearly better I'd say United are right now playing at a higher level than most teams around them and it shows so I feel like this one feels different to all of those other cup wins yeah no there's there's no denying it it does um in so many ways uh, I think you, you, you pointed it out, feels like this is the first of many as opposed to let's enjoy this while it lasts, which, you know, th- there's something to be said for let's enjoy it while it lasts, but it's a lot more meaningful when you're enjoying something that is an elite cup win. <laughs> Whereas today it feels like this is just a one step towards, you know, hopefully a, a league or a Champions League or, or multiple uh, of both. All right, uh, before we get carried away with this... Another big match happened this week before this cup final. True. United knocked Barcelona, Barcelona out of the Europa League. <laughs> like, ba- barely feel like it's so. It's been a crazy week. It's been a, a really uh, two huge wins, and can barely remember that Barcelona match now. <laughs> I was riding high on Thursday. After. I actually watched it last night because uh, I couldn't watch it on Thursday, and I really enjoyed it. Again. I think it was one of those that was actually quite tactically defined by some of the themes that we've talked about on the podcast, um, especially the hybrid press. Like this was the this, in my opinion, was like the match to watch this season. If you want to understand when we talk about United's front three pressing an opposition back four, like that was the the perfect match to watch because in the first half they were struggling to do it, and in the second half they did it, and that was I think the main difference between. You know, a mediocre performance losing to a good team versus outplaying and deservedly beating a, a good team. Yeah, absolutely. First half, you have the the wingers getting too far ahead of their fullbacks. You leave sort of a gap in 
on the sides of midfield, if, if that makes sense to, to listeners. I hope it does. Um, and it, it allowed for Barcelona to play to their fullbacks, break the press, move at speed into United's third, create a few decent chances in that first half. We happen to benefit a lot from just having incredible box defending uh, and and just being one of the best teams in Europe, I think, in duels defensively, uh, at least across our, our back six. And so we got away with a lot of dangerous transition moments, I think, uh, in that first half. And then, like you said, you, re- you introduced Antony. And then I think there were probably some changes in instructions for the fullbacks at halftime as well that meant that gap between the wingers and the fullbacks closed. And Barcelona had a lot more trouble getting out of their own half. We created a few chances, took the first one we got with Fred. And uh, yeah, it changed the course of the match. Yeah, I thought it was really impressive from Anthony because I think a lot of the talk around the first half was kind of debating whether it would be a wise instruction to get the fullbacks to join the press, which is something we've talked about a lot, right? What we really found later in the match was the fact that Anthony was actually able to cover a lot of the gap that was created um, and Barcelona were able to play through. So I, 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 another great talking point from this game is, you know, Anthony comes in and he gives this level of um, of sophistication to the system that perhaps other individuals wouldn't be able to offer. And I think that's a big story of how United have succeeded so much this season because it really makes the difference between a coherent side and a good side. Yeah, I agree. I think it's funny because I think if you watch Anthony play, definitely the first word that comes to one's mind is not classy, but his execution of out-of-possession principles is classy. Uh, it's, It's really sophisticated, like you said. And I think having... I know we've talked about this a million times, but he he really, in, ma- in more ways than one, won this match. Uh, he came on, you know, had this out-of-possession impact that allowed United to, you know, pin Barcelona for periods, create half chances over and over again, and then he took one of those half chances himself. So very good day for Anthony. Hopefully, hopefully these goal contributions come a little bit more often so that we can get some recognition for him that's in line with the impact that he has when he plays. Yeah, I think so. And I think even if not, he had some great moments in this cup final today as well. I feel like his impact is on an upward trajectory. Like, I feel like he's showing signs that he's going to get better um, in front of goal. And it's not just the fact that he's good at these tactically enabling sort of skills like out of possession stuff keeping the ball in wide areas and deeper areas than the average winger i think he's also gonna see an uptick in his goal involvement and creative actions yeah hopefully hopefully i I think i think the signs are there getting off more shots recently i still think you want to see more from his creative game but we've also had a sort of a weird schedule a lot of big matches not a lot of um opportunities for volume chance creation more matches that have been defined by out-of-possession play and transitions than, you know, a, a side like United are probably typical to have in a given month. So we'll see as the season bears on, as United have some softer runs of matches, how how Anthony has progressed since the beginning of the season. 
on that note, I feel like we should talk about the cup final. So, Newcastle. They love making these matches difficult. Ten Hag implied that. He implied that it would be difficult. And I feel like that's what it was for the first half hour. It was a lot of Newcastle creating, you know, getting 2v1s with their wingers getting back in wide situations. A lot of contesting um, man-to-man in their press and making it hard for United to play out, making it hard for United to create. I don't really think they they created a terrible amount themselves, but because of their out-of-possession play and their clear stubbornness in, in, in their approach, I feel like they had the upper hand in the first little bit of the match. I think it, it was an interesting thing to see because last time United sort of had the better of them throughout the match, but um, I really don't know if that was the case in this particular match, despite um, the fact that United were the ones to eventually go ahead. This is a, an example where performances don't always match results uh, in terms of comparing that first Newcastle tie where we drew them nil-nil at home but probably deserved to win and today where I think that if you're being kind to, to Man United it was an even match before Casemiro's opener but really I, th- I think Newcastle probably had the, had the better of, of, of us until that point and United gets the opener some improvement, but really not brilliant play. I think I think at 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 ninety at ninety minutes it was like point eight xg to point eight xg. So a very even match. At the end of the day, I, I don't think that's a big deal. It's a cup final against a good team. You make a couple chances, you take them. It's it's way better to be lucky in these matches than it is to be good. And I don't think we were catastrophic by any means. And and. You know, it was said before the match, uh, this Newcastle team are annoying. They're, they're annoying to play against. The, their strength is mucking up games, making them hard to win. Uh, and we, we happen to, you know, get a set piece, get a deflection. And you know what? We're annoying to play against too. And <laughs> we, we showed that. Newcastle had nothing. That We were sitting back that whole last 45 and really, despite St. Maximin being terrifying every time he came into the box... They, they they got nothing. So that's how cup ties. That's like that's how you win cup finals. Sometimes it's not always pretty. It rarely is. Beautiful eccentric football at Wembley is not a given. Even 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 in the best of times. You know, last week we talked a lot about United's struggles from defensive corners. Um, this was another match this season in which United got the breakthrough from a set piece. In matches like this, I feel like it becomes a really big point of conversation. It's a huge, big. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, no. No, I. Yeah, I. I just. We talk a lot about on this podcast. Um, I think we idealize the ability to break down teams in open play a lot, um, and specifically in settled possession, because that's ultimately what differentiates good teams from the best teams. But I think. That is also one of the hardest things for a team to do in in the sport, in the modern game. And, you know, being able to force more transitions or, in this case, break teams down from set-piece situations is also a really good way to get an upper leg and make the difference in ties like this. Luke Shaw's delivery was awesome, and then that finish from Casemiro was absurd. Like, I, firstly, I was sure he was offside, and then he wasn't. And secondly... 
it barely glances across his head and it emphatically goes into the goal. I think this is really just a, an instance where you can our our quality advantage over Newcastle just bore out. Luke Shaw is a phenomenal footballer. He put in a phenomenal ball. Casemiro is a phenomenal footballer. He applied a phenomenal finish and two pieces of phenomenal quality made for uh, uh, an extremely de- decisive goal. Sometimes it's not more complicated than that. Sometimes football is a uh, a simple game as much as we the two of us like to like to muck it up and make it sound complicated. I wouldn't make too much of the fact that United didn't play that well today because especially the latter stages of cup competitions, it stops being about who's playing better. It starts being about who takes their chances. It starts being about yeah, I, I hate to be this guy, but like getting stuck in and and not making stupid mistakes. And that's what United did today. So, yeah, it's also you're playing teams that are really good. Like I think it's easy to look at this and say it's Newcastle, but teams have not exactly gone to Newcastle and pasted them this season. Um, United had the better of Newcastle last time, but I don't necessarily think that was the rule. I think that was the exception. Um, you're really playing, in my opinion, the fourth best team in the Premier League right now. And yeah, I don't think it's easy to just go to Wembley and dominate them. Like I don't think that should be the expectation for this. Yeah, I, th- I think what you really, maybe the next time we play Newcastle, what you're looking for is more control in the first two phases. And that like that's the ideal. And if we were playing in the league, I would actually be more concerned by this performance. But we aren't. Cup ties are different. There's no denying it. I feel like at that point we can take a break and come back and talk about some long-term stuff. Yeah, let's do it. And we're back. Welcome to the first ever Devils in the Details episode recorded after a trophy win for Manchester United. And by the way, we've never gone a trophyless season, so let's hope that continues. We're a good luck charm. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about significance, big picture. Um, how many more trophies are United going to win after this quadruple? <laughs> but on a serious note. How significant do you think this cup win is moving forward into the rest of the season and into seasons ahead of this one? It certainly doesn't hurt. It's a big, I think it's just good to get the monkey off your back. You know what I mean? In terms of, it's been six years since a trophy's been won. It was beginning to weigh, at least on the conscience of the fans. I have to imagine it was starting to weigh on some of the players who've been here for years and not won anything because it's not the norm. And yeah, I think it just, it gets a lot of, it, it, it allows for the media narrative to be turned around, which I think allows for a, a more positive culture at the club. So in that way, it's positive. Um, but obviously, if it stops here, no one will be happy. So it's not that significant. <laughs> um, so tough tough to strike that balance. What do you think? Yeah, I over the past few years, I've really seen the significance of winning a trophy to win over sort of either more skeptical or more people in the broader public community who are looking for more tangible 
material evidence of the team getting better. And so even if United lost today, I think the two of us would both be of the opinion that this season is a lot better than anything we've seen pretty much in the last eight or nine years. Um, But I think for a lot of others, this is the sign that they needed that, you know, the team is actually getting better. And I think that does reflect in how people feel at the club. And like you said, right, it's not necessarily a good thing, but it can't be a bad thing. Yeah, I think it, I think it necessarily is a good thing. It's just it's 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 the magnitude of the of the the positivity, right? That's the question. Um, the EFL Cup as a trophy is not that big of a deal, right? But I think what it represents is sort of the optimism, and I think when people look back at this, the fun that United have had this season, I think, yeah. like yeah, a lot of the exactly. discourse has been, you know. We've been talking about 538 and United having two, three, and 4% chances of winning the Premier League. And a lot of the discourse has just been like, it's been fun to see that that's a possibility. It's not even that anyone's expecting it to happen. It's just that it's actually fun to think that the team is good and relevant again. Um, as, As someone who has to watch it every week and cover it, I really look forward to seeing interesting tactical things and being able to come onto this podcast with optimism and uh and talk about stories that people are going to want to listen to and not just stories that people are going to want to drown their sorrows into yeah i think it matters more for the fans than it does for the team itself i'll say that much i think obviously the players are people and the the coaching staff are people and then they, they get affected by these things but i think the fans are the ones who create the mood and so they're the ones who are most sensitive to these things. And the narrative is the things is the thing that the, the fans interact with on a day-to-day basis. And this has a huge effect on the narrative. I did mention the two, three, and four percent chances of winning the Premier League this year. I don't think either of us are taking it as a serious proposition that United could win the Premier League, even though they're only eight points off with 14 games to play. Um I don't really see it as a genuine possibility, but that's certainly the closest I can remember United being to the Premier League leaders um, in the last few years at this stage of the season. Um, Perhaps in 2020-2021, United were relatively close, but City were starting to pull away by this point for sure. Even if United don't win it this season, what do you think this says about the possibility of United actually being able to challenge... um, next year, or if not next year, in the years after that? I don't think the League Cup has that much bearing on whether we're going to challenge for the title next year. But I'll answer your question more open-endedly. What are the odds that we challenge for the title next year? I, I don't think they're like outrageously low. I think it's possible. I think it's possible that come match week 35 next season, we still are in the title race. I think it's possible. I don't think it's the most likely outcome, though. I would put it at less than 50% chance of United being, you know, one of the the, the last horses in the race uh, in the 24, the 23-24 season. I think that's still a, a bridge too far for the moment. I think for that to happen, it would take a performance jump equivalent to the performance jump that we saw between last season when we were horrible to this season when we've been quite good. I think we have to we would we still have to get from quite good to 
borderline indomitable, which is what you really have to be to win the Premier League at this point. And I think we will get there. Uh, I think it's hard not to be full of optimism on a day like today. But I don't think we're going to get there by August, uh, which is really when you need to be there to mount a, a full 38-match title charge. Yeah, I don't think City or or sorry, I don't think United are going to be as good as the City team of the last five years next season. Put it that way. And so if City are as good as they have been, even this year, I think it's going to be really hard for United to catch that. The reason why I frame it that way is because you always face the possibility that the teams around you get worse, and so you don't have to get as much better as you initially thought, right? There's a there's a scenario in which United are a genuine title contender in a league that has no all-time great teams. Um, right now, United are not a title contender in a league that has perhaps not a team having an all-time great season, but a team that I still think is an all-time great team. Um, and also an Arsenal team that is having the best season they've had in 15, 20 years. I, I mean, so, on, like, on, on a points pace, from a point, like the... The points they're on pace for, perspective, is the best season they've ever had in the Premier League. Not to say that it's their best team ever. I know that would be very controversial of me to say. But empirically, they've been great. So I think it's going to be hard to catch that. But I think you're I think you're it's totally plausible where... that we finish above them next season. But that has more to do with my feeling that they'll get worse than the feeling that United will be as good as they are this season. Not even that they'll get worse. I just think that there's a decent chance that they'll collect fewer points. The words I'm saying there actually have bearing, have, have some explanatory value when it comes to what I'm saying about United as well. I think United can get significantly better next season without collecting significantly more points. And I think, I suppose that's what I'm, I'm building into this, this conversation is... For the most part, this season, United, when they've deserved to win, they've won. And when they've deserved to lose, they've lost. And when they've deserved to draw, they've won. Which, that's not a bad thing. Um, and, and this isn't me saying like United are running hot and they don't deserve to be in the spot they are in the league. I think United are the third best team in the league. They're in third. They're playing great teams and they're playing them for the most part, pretty even. Uh, when they play teams that are, wor- that are worse than them, they usually beat them up. But, you know, football is a, is a game of probabilities, and in any match, no matter how well you play, there's a chance that you, you drop points, you lose. Um, and I think that's been... United haven't been the victims of misfortune very often this season, which I think is huge. And hopefully, yeah, hopefully that continues. And there's a decent chance it does. But I also know there's a decent chance that it doesn't, even if United get a lot better. Yeah. If you look at it from a purely mathematical perspective, United are looking at sort of the high 70s range of points right now. And that's from directly projecting their current points across 38 games. And Arsenal are looking somewhere in the 90s, I think. So United are somewhere between 10 and 15 points off the best team in the league right now um, for points pace. And I think what that means is as it stands, you're probably going to have to make up a double digit amount of points in how good you are next season, which I think is unlikely. You don't often see 
teams do that. Even though Arsenal are doing it right now, you don't often see teams do that. Um, so I think you're in a place where if United are winning the league, it's not because they are putting out all-time great teams. It's just because they happen to be the best in a transitional season for the league in the next few years. You never know what's going to what's gonna happen to the Premier League. Um, yeah, but at least right now, I think... And this is something I actually want to write about. I don't know if I'll get the chance, but... What you're seeing is, you know, five years ago, United have had been in seasons where the league was in a transitional state. There weren't any elite sides. Like, think the best example of that is when Leicester won the Premier League. And when Leicester won the Premier League, United finished fifth. They were nowhere near. They had no reasonable outlook, even if they were lucky, of winning the Premier League. Um, And now they're at least in the frame of, you know, if things go right, United will win the Premier League. Things go right is still a hugely improbable set of circumstances, but I think that shows how much closer United are now than they have been in, in recent years. I would even say this. What what I'm talking about is next season. I don't think it's outrageous to suggest that in two years, United actually do field an all-time great team. Uh, Maybe not the best United side we've ever seen, but a side that can put up 90 points. I don't think that's an outrageous suggestion, which I only say it, and I hate being that outwardly optimistic, but I only say it because... I don't think we're, I don't think our outlook as United fans should be, we're waiting on a transitional year where we can jump and, and, you know, catch a slightly lucky league title. Because I I don't think that's what this project is building towards. Um, And I know you don't either. The goal is to be that dominant team. And really what we're describing here is doubt that we're going to be that dominant team next year. We might be a very good team that catches some luck, but it's unlikely that United are, I'll say now, United are not collecting 90 points in the league next season. That's not happening. Well, it's also worth noting that United are currently in the best league in the world in terms of competitivity, and they just beat the champions of La Liga. I would say United were the better team over the two legs. So, if United are not ready to challenge for the Premier League yet, but beating the best teams in other leagues, where do they stand in Europe's elite? Are they now one of the best teams in Europe? Are they not quite there, but in the next level below? Or are they in the next level below that? It's hard to tell because they're playing in the Europa League, but I, I'm i beginning to think there aren't actually that many teams who are clearly better than United um, in Europe. Yeah, I think... I think if you, you put United in a theoretical Super League and you say, you know, you take the 20 best teams in Europe, which United are certainly one of the 20 best teams in Europe, but I'll, I'll narrow that down even further in a moment. You take the 20 best teams in Europe, you put them in a Super League, you say we're going to play 30, a 38-match season. I don't think United finish in the top five. I think they finish like sixth or seventh which I think is really, really, really incredible given where we were a year ago, where we were six months ago. I think that's astonishing. However, I'll, I'll, I'll take it a step further, and I'll be even more positive. I think if you put United up against any one of those five or six or seven teams that would finish above them in a theoretical Super League in a 
one-off or a, you know, a two-leg tie, they could beat any of them. And I think that has to do with two things. It has to do with what I think is proving to be some incredibly impressive managerial flexibility. And also, I think some of United's personnel is extremely suited to the sort of matches that take shape between elite teams, which are often decided by duels and often end-to-end. And I think I can think of six or seven players in United's squad who are in one way or another elite in, in some scenario that comes up in, in these, these top end matches. And so I think, you know, maybe, maybe United certainly aren't the best team in Europe, but I think they could beat the best team in Europe. I think they've beaten the best team in Europe this season already. Yeah, I agree with that. I I think you're looking at, again, two teams that are just clearly better in the Premier League, but behind them, United are clearly third and, there are also some teams across Europe who are having incredible seasons like Napoli, and I don't think United are quite there yet either with the attacking quality that they have and and the level that they're playing at. But Yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll do this. I'll name teams, and, and people can yell at me. My, my, <laughs> I was my, trying to, yeah, I was, was going to say name and shame them. but Yeah, City are better than us. Arsenal are better than us. I've had people telling me they aren't in my mentions. Arsenal are better than us right now. I think Barcelona are actually better than us right now, even though we beat them, and we deserve to beat them, but this is a good example of what I'm talking about. You can be worse than a team and outplay them over two leg over two matches. It doesn't it's not a direct relationship. Barcelona are better at beating other teams than United are. Yeah. Yeah. Um I think Real are probably better. Um I think Napoli are better, who you mentioned. I think Bayern are better. Uh, those are the teams that I, I'm certain, I'll put that in quotes, I'm certain uh, are better than us. And I don't. And I, you can make a couple arguments for a few other sides, but that's crazy. Like, that's crazy because I think after that Brentford match in August, people would have been happy if United were the 7th the or 8th best team in, in England. Forget Europe. So, yeah, it's, it's a good spot to be in. It's hard not to feel good right now. Case has a cigar for those who uh, didn't get the video (laughs) feed for this. No, I'm kidding. All right, so what is the gap between these teams? We talk a lot about personnel. Fun question is, how many players that started the cup final today will be starting the next time United win major silverware? Let's let's also add, assuming it's not this season, because I actually don't think it's unlikely that United end up doing really well in the FA Cup Europa League. Yeah, okay, so... I wrote that question for for reference, guys. When I said major silverware, I meant the Champions League or the or the Premier League, really, because um, I think the FA Cup is awesome. It's way more fun than winning the League Cup, and the Europa League obviously is major silverware. But I think in the context of United, what everybody's really craving, what major silverware means to United fans, is the league or the Champions League, because that's what bragging rights are, right? Um, so, of the eleven players who played today or who started for United today, how many of those 11 do we think start, let's say, you know, the decisive match the next time we win the league or a champion, the next Champions League final we play? You answer first, Aaron. It's my question. You have to go first. I think the upper end is eight. Okay. Name and shame. 
Dallo, Varane, Lissandro, Shaw, Casemiro, Anthony, Bruno, and Rashford. Those are the eight. I think there's a chance you replace some of those two. I don't think you have to. Yeah, I agree. I think two things. First of all, I think with Fred, you have to think about Erickson. Because I think if Erickson were healthy, he would have started this match. So yeah, I think, wouldn't have I, I was thinking of Erickson, I wouldn't have counted Erickson either. Yeah. So so would Eric would you say nine if Erickson had started today? No, no, no. I wouldn't. So it's, you'd still say eight? Yeah, I think United should look to get a central midfielder eventually. I don't think Erickson I think the injury overshadowed the fact that Erickson probably didn't have the legs to get through this season at the rate he was playing. Yeah, it's possibly true. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so I yeah, I wouldn't say Erickson. As much as I think Erickson will be around, I don't necessarily think he'll be starting. I agree. So then the second thing I was going to say is age curves. We've talked about this recently on the podcast. I agree there's eight players in there who are good enough to win major silverware with in the starting 11. I think you've got a couple of them who, let's accept that I'm right for the sake of argument, that we're not going to win major silverware next season. We're not going to win the Champions League or the Premier League next season. That puts us, you know, two years out. I think there's a decent chance Varane is not starting two years from now. Uh, and as, again, Varane's been incredible. He was incredible today. He was incredible against Barcelona. He's an all-around incredible defender. I think there's a decent chance, given who's in charge, that we look to bring in someone younger in his position, not necessarily to replace him in the short term, uh, but to replace him in the long term. And I think there's a decent chance that by the time we're you know, winning the Champions League or winning the Premier League, two-plus seasons out... Varane is no longer nailed down as the first choice. What do you think about that? You've got, a, you've got a ambivalent look on your face. No, I don't disagree. I, I, The way I see it is, among the eight that I just listed, there's three groups, right? There's the ones who are clearly the best in Europe or close in their positions. That's Shaw, Lissandro, Casemiro. And then I think you have two groups. There are the ones that are suited really strongly to the system but a level below elite and then not suited to the system that well, but have tremendous quality. Um, and those make up the other five. And you're more likely to see, I think, players who are not necessarily elite, but still fit the system than you are players who don't fit the system, but have tremendous quality. Stick around. Does that make sense? That's an interesting way to frame it. I think... Actually, I'll just go in a completely different direction because I think you've, 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 you've framed it well. So yeah, I think you're looking at a new striker, a new central midfielder. Let's talk about Anthony. Let's talk about Anthony for a second because I think a lot of people don't think you're winning anything with him in the starting lineup. What do you mean? What, 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 what's your take on that? I don't think every forward needs to score crazy goals and I think right now United cannot survive a 90 without Anthony. So, in the medium term, the discussion doesn't really matter. I understand the reservations. He's not contributing at an elite level right now. And United's 
two of United's other three forwards are, and the third one is widely believed to be in line for a replacement in terms of Whitehorse coming in as a short term for Martial or Ronaldo or whoever has been playing there this season. So I understand the point. I just don't think it's a major discussion topic right now. And I also think United have some nice alternatives coming through in the sort of three behind the striker positions that have made the depth look pretty good, such that I don't think it's likely you'll see anything happen soon. Not ruling it out long term, though. Yeah, I don't. We just spent a hundred million on him, and I think most people at the club are actually happy with how he's playing. Those two things seem to indicate to me that there's not going to be anyone new coming in at right wing anytime soon. Let, let, let's let's look at the players who didn't start today. Then, do we think Sancho is not in the starting lineup uh, for the next title challenge? I think Rashford, Bruno, Anthony, and Sancho are not all in the starting lineup. Which one of them is not in, you can make a debate for pretty much any of the four. Rashford's probably the hardest one to make a case for because I think he's A, right now the best, and B, right now the most different of the four. But if Sancho comes in, it'll be for someone else who is already at the club. It won't be as the fourth member of the attack, I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I don't think you're pushing Rashford to striker. Okay. I think Sancho's the only one who's not starting right now. And Erickson, who we talked about. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. Um, Malasia, maybe, but like... Yeah. Yeah, but I think Shaw's young enough that we can we can dismiss that for the time being. Yeah, so so new striker, new, new central midfielder, new goalkeeper. Maybe you've got a new center back who comes in. Uh... Maybe you've yeah, got there's a, a couple new... other optional ones like com- competition at right back, competition yep. at center back, but yeah, I think it, it's weird because on the one hand it feels like a lot still needs to be done, but then on the other hand, when you have a conversation like this, it's like, oh, wow, maybe this team is actually, at least in terms of the face of the team, closer to its final form than than we realize. There's like the, the seemingly the skeleton of an incredible team, but then you look and there's just some really important profiles missing. Um, like I think everyone would agree, an uh, an incre- a very prolific striker is needed and lacking. Um, I think everyone would agree. You need a ball carrying midfielder, somebody who's press resistant, really at an elite level. I think most people would agree, and I'm only saying most people to be diplomatic, a new goalkeeper is needed. Somebody who's more proactive, who sweeps, who's comfortable on the ball. Those are all really important, but that's really all you can be like, those are the things that have to happen. Those are like, those are the, because I, I, don't, I don't think there's, I don't think this team is like full of holes. It just has some really noteworthy holes. Um, which is an interesting distinction to draw. And it's certainly very far from what the impression was a year ago. Awesome. Okay, last question. We obviously started a podcast this season. How does it feel to have picked this season where we've had all these storylines and optimism? I mean, we've both been on online content for a while and we've both known each other for a while, but this is the first year we've done this. So... 
Yeah, honestly, I'm just so happy that we picked such a good season to start. I feel like this has been like the the chronicling of the tactical storylines behind United becoming good again. Um, and even though we're yet to find out to what extent they are going to be good, um, I think we've done a nice job at least of covering the progress up till now. Yeah, I agree. I mean... I think you remember, Aaron, it, not that we knew how fast things were going to turn around, but we chose the season intentionally. This was, this was not a mistake. I think whether we, whether we knew things were going to get better or whether we knew they couldn't possibly get worse, we, we knew something was coming this year. Um, and that's why we picked this year to, to do this. And I'm very glad we did because it's been really fun chronicling this. I hope everybody listening has had as much fun following the ups and downs. And this feels like the first substantive up that we can point to and be like, Hey, that was cool. Like, I remember that 10 years yeah. from now. Yeah. Honestly, one of the most fun parts for me has been, I feel like we've created a kind of network of between us and some regular listeners of people who like every week we kind of get responses from and interact with and, it's been more fun than pretty much any other form of interaction I've had on Twitter. Just kind of being able to catch up with that group and have like the ability to talk in open forum in longer form and with more detail than you can than you can give on Twitter um, about United season and yeah, that's I, I'm honestly so glad and so grateful that we've gotten to do this. So I just yeah. wanted to add that in for the end of the podcast. Absolutely, I, th- I think one of the great things about this this format is how self-referential we can be and how much we can build on discussion points that we've had from previous weeks. I hope that we don't do it too much. I hope we're still bringing new things to the table as often as possible, but it is great that, you know, we can have a conversation and we can say, oh, and then back, back in August when we were sobbing before and after recording because we lost 4-0 to a recently promoted side we talked about this thing and then now we're talking about a totally different team like it i've gone back and listened to some of those early episodes and it's foreign like the discussions we're having are foreign which is a good feeling it's a good day to be united fan <laughs> um the one thing that is not foreign is throughout the season at various points in the week, one of us spamming the other with videos of United either doing terrible stuff <laughs> or great stuff on WhatsApp, which is great. Yes. Um, the the folks over at WhatsApp have had the biggest challenges their servers have ever faced um, <laughs> this season as the well. The volume so. of media we've been sending back and forth. But yeah, and that's all uh, ho- hopefully to make this this podcast enjoyable for everybody listening. So thank you guys for... for uh joining us on this first season hopefully it's not hopefully it's the first of many uh well with that we wrap up the first ever devils in the details trophy edition hope you enjoyed this week's devils in the details you can follow us at devils itd pod on twitter or on a variety of streaming platforms our awesome theme music was made by Jacob Connor. You can find at Jacob J. Connor on Twitter. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.
Campeones, campeones, ole, ole, ole.